My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. never was an astronaut. Nope. Never really aspired to be one, if I'm being honest. You know, maybe watching a movie, uh, I might think about going up there or watching a TV show or reading a book out of the silent planet or whatever. I, I never really, that wasn't a huge goal of mine. Partially probably because I knew it was never going to happen, but also because by the time I'd actually started thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was already grown up, and I had already seen like Star Wars and Star Trek and Aliens and Close Encounters. I, I'm none of these things are going to happen. Okay, I know I'm going to get up there. There's not going to be a Millennium Falcon. All right, I'm not going to fight the Death Star. I'm not going to hang out with Ripley. I'm not going to build a, a mountain out of mashed potatoes and then have somebody come pick me up and scoop me off for some intergalactic adventure. Okay, I never was Roy Neary. I never would be. So pass. Now, my only regret about this is that I would never discover a new planet to live on, which is the whole point of going up there, if we're being honest, okay? And sure, you know, fight an alien or something, but I don't want to study rocks. I have no interest in, you know, buttons and switches. I wanted to discover the alien beach and, and give myself a nice spread uh, with no neighbors. And is that so much to ask? If I could, If I could do that, Maybe I would have considered it, but I figure, you know, when it happens, someone will call me. So, recently, uh, a friend and I were talking about other planets, you know, what the concept of living on another planet would mean on like a spiritual level. By the way, my vote, eyeball planets. Look them up. Incredible. I think that's the answer. Go for the eyeball planets. Anyway, we discussed this and, you know, what it would mean. And... What do we mean spiritually? And, and the truth is, I have no feeling regarding it. Alien beings with uh, opinions and intentions. Okay, that's that would change the game a little bit. But I don't know. Let me know when we meet them and I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I'm sure it's the first thing on your mind. Aliens, game changer. But another planet? Like we all move to another planet? Honestly, uh, I don't think that's any big revelation. At one point, people thought the Earth was flat, and, uh, and, and anyone who didn't think that was considered a heretic. And then, of course, the Earth was round, and everyone was fine. I don't think living on another planet's really all that out, out of the ballpark, truthfully. It's just like another continent we haven't discovered. I don't know. I think I'd be too curious to feel that way anyway. If, 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 if the possibility was there, I'm gonna, I gotta check that out. I don't know that I would make the cut. I think we all can agree that the people who get to visit the new planet are not going to be, you know, bartenders or, uh, I don't know, aspiring podcasters. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm way off the rails. My guest tonight, my guest tonight is the artist, producer, and uh, unbelievably busy Clayton Scott. The man behind Cell Dweller uh, discusses his four-chapter effort uh, End of an Empire, we're going to talk about that. Uh, and for the nostalgic, yes, we're going to touch on a little Circle of Dust, Brainchild, Argyle Park, etc. I mentioned astronauts because Clayton, he probably could have been one. 
It might have actually been an easier path. What does that mean? Well, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my talk with the cell dweller himself, Clayton Scott. But first... This show is brought to you in part by American Dance Party. This is what you do. Go to the INeverWas.com page, click on the link to tonight's episode, scroll to the bottom and you will see a little uh, icon on there for American Dance Party. You click on that thing and as if by magic, it will transport you to their web store. Go in there, do some browsing. You might see a lovely Pendleton made by humans, not some Target knockoff. When you grow up, your heart dies emblazoned across the back. I personally used to own one of these up until about uh, two days ago. About two days ago, I was out working in the hot sun, trying to buy things like dog food. And uh, when I had come home, my new dog, the one you've heard flapping ears on this show a couple times, Luca, had eaten a hole through the back of my favorite Pendleton that was large enough to put my head through. My head and and maybe even yours and someone else's. Uh, So it looks like what I'm going to be doing is what you should be doing. Click on that link. Go to the American Dance Party website. Find yourself something nice. Get yourself a nice, legitimate, handmade, sweatshop-free Pendleton. And then hang it in the closet away from the dog. I'm assuming most of those people who know R.L. Park and Circle of Dust probably already assume that I'm dead. I don't even know if they think I'm even making music. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, I didn't fly the flag and saying, hey, I used to be this, now this is me. I just kind of <laughs> just did it, you know? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you did the smart thing, actually. But it is going to be newsworthy because now people are going to th- be amazed that I uh, exhumed your body and reanimated you for this interview. So. And, and got me to talk about things I never really talk about in public. That's the worst part. Yeah, you're getting let's the exclusive. Get in there. <laughs> so let me uh, let's just kind of just for for yucks, you know, we talked about it before, but but uh, you know, kind of when you were growing up and you were forming your your opinions on life, what did you want to be? What did you want to do? Did you want to do this, or did you have something else in mind? Well, I think um, I think my first choice as a kid obviously was to play music, but I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, right. My first instrument was a drum, were the drums 13 years old, I think it was somewhere around there. And I had no idea how to even play them or set them up. But before that, before I even understood that music could be a possibility, it was like I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, both my parents worked for NASA. Uh, through Grumman, wow. the Grumman Corporation. So um, I had I had posters of of our planets, uh, you know, signed by Buzz Aldrich and uh, Buzz Aldrin and all and all these like these astronauts that they had met and all this like original NASA stuff. And I didn't even really understand the value of that as a kid. It's unfortunate because I would have kept it all and it would still be up on my walls, all uh, my walls now. But um, I wanted to be an astronaut, but I, you know, yeah, you have to imagine that was probably pretty impractical. And then I think I wanted to be a doctor, and I don't totally even know why. And that is ultimately what I actually did: is I went to college. I was pre med. No um, kidding. 
No, I'm not kidding. I wanted to, I wanted to make music, um, and I'll, I'll jump right into that story. I wanted to make music, but how, do you, how, does one, how does one, even in the 90s, contemplate the idea of actually realistically making a living? Back then, it was like you get a record deal or nothing. I didn't have any yeah. connects, right? Right. So uh, I went to school, pre-med. Um, I was probably two years in, just community college stuff, but like, you know, anatomy, physiology, all, all those kinds of things that I actually really loved. Very, uh, I loved it. I just realized I, I just didn't like people enough to want to be a doctor and be around them all day. So I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So I actually, I actually left for one semester and switched my major to music. Then I okay. find myself playing Beethoven and Bach, reading notes on a ledger, and I'm kind of going, you know what, I don't want to do this either, because maybe these guys were great, but I don't listen to their music, and I really just want right. to make my own. And I, I, maybe back then I was too young to understand that maybe learning principles of music may have helped me create in the future, but I was an ear-based guy. I made music based on like what I heard. Uh, and, sure. and, and the music I was listening to was pretty dark, pretty heavy, had nothing really to do with Beethoven or Bach. So one semester in, Around mid-semester, um, ironically tying into the story of how we've reconnected recently, uh, I was friends with the Believer guys. They were on an East Coast label called Rex, and Kurt and Joey, I knew these guys, went down, hung out with them, and, and this band Sacrament um, at, at some barbecue they had like for some Rex artists. Hung out with them for a while, and um, at one point I ended up putting together just the worst demos you can imagine. I didn't even have a sampler, so my samples, like when I wanted to be industrial and make noise, I had a, I had a, a shortwave radio. It was a boombox, bigger than the screen that you can see, it was like this. And I took a microphone, and what I would do is on my four track demo of just a drum machine that I had with a guitar riff that I played, on the third track I would literally just turn the shortwave radio on and off in quick blasts and whatever came out went through a delay pedal and the delay time was totally out of time with the song it was the worst and then in the fourth track I put one vocal and I gave Kurt um, I gave Kurt a demo of one and a half songs literally the half song I think was a song called Nightfall which ended up being on my first album and the full song was called Demoralize. They were awful. They were just terrible. I was just learning. I didn't even know I could write a full song by myself. So I was just experimenting. And it, I, as, as Providence had it, Kurt had just recently become the A&R guy for the East Coast. So he was hungry to find something to sign. For, so R I, for yeah, REX? Yeah, for REX. So, so you know, you, I look back at this and go, man, it was just the timing of these events. If they hadn't happened in that order, I don't even know it, if I'd be sitting here talking to you right now. So okay. I'm, I'm, um, I'm in school and I'm also working full time at a little like music slash bookstore because they were really flexible about me like with my hours and stuff. Um, and so I'm there working one day and someone calls me in the back they're like, hey, uh, this guy Kurt's on the phone for you? And I'm like, how do you get this number? So I go there and I'm like, Kurt. And I'm like, Kurt, Kurt? Like, what's up? He's like, hey man, uh, listen to your demos. We want to sign you. And I, all of a sudden, I went into an episode of The Twilight Zone. Like, I was like, I'm not here. This isn't real. I'm dreaming. Because to me, that was, this, that was symbolic of, like, my life is about to change. I didn't really understand that that was true. It was going to change, but it wasn't changing in the way that I thought. I was like, okay, I'm quitting this job. I'm going full-time music. I continued that job for three full length albums after I got signed. So I did three full-length albums while working a full-time job. I had no life, and I was completely mm. cool with it. I didn't care. I, all I cared about was learning gear, experimenting sure. with sound, playing music, learning how to write songs, coming up with terrible vocal melodies. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly, but I say it a lot around here that I feel like my vocals on my first two or three albums just sound like a dude who's trying to take a huge shit. Like, I'm just, he's just trying to take this massive shit, and that's what's coming out. Like, I didn't understand my voice. I didn't know how it worked, you know? So... Oh, that's kind of how I viewed my own voice, I, you know, and it's not much better now. I still kind of view it the same way. I've just learned how to control it a little more. But um, um, there you go. I, I I don't even remember the original question, but like I told you, Mark, like I no, I'm a New York Italian. So actually, you're one of the few people who's actually had an answer for me. Okay, well you you'll need to jump in once in a while and tell me to shut up because I'll just keep uh, I'll just keep rambling. It's kind of telling how how many musicians kind of started off with no real idea. You know what I mean? They didn't know what they wanted to do. They didn't know where they were going. They just, and they didn't want to be asked where they were going. They were trying to figure it out, you know? It was a large component of that for sure. I wanted to make music. I mean, that was the thing that was the most influential to me as a kid, but I, 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 I had zero concept of how that could even be possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're thinking, what are we talking about here, 90? 90, yeah. 91? Yeah. Yep. I mean, and that whole, like, that conversation you mentioned just now uh, with Kurt, like, hey, we want to sign you. Like, for growing up in that era, you know, to hear those words was, that was like what everybody was waiting for. Everybody. Know? It, it oh, doesn't that. matter that they, they have, you know, my, my label that I formed from almost nothing probably is bigger than that label was. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but at that moment in life, you, I mean... You're in school, man. It's like, yeah. it could be, it could have been anybody. And it turns out later, I find out that that's, it was run out of a, out of, out of Doug Mann's uh, apartment initially in New Jersey. Doug Mann. That remember was Doug his Mann? name. Doug Mann. Dude, I was trying to remember. That's Who's him. Who's this guy they keep talking about? And yeah, Doug like, Mann. He, and he was Doug part of the Mann. reason I signed to that label because I, I really like Doug. The brainchild album that I did, I did with Doug. Here, here's the president of the label. After my first album, he comes to me and goes, hey, I want to do a project with you. And I'm like, the president of the label wants to do a project with me? I'm like, yeah. Um, uh, but Doug, Doug was a good guy. Then he ended up leaving Rex. And then that's when my, that's when my, that was the world of like lawsuits and just thievery. Oh, None of the artists were getting paid. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this from, from Living Sacrifice, you know, mm -hmm. any other Rex artists of, the, of that day. Um, we all got boned. A year and a half yeah. legal battle for me. Like I hired an attorney. I had no money. You know, the guy at the end of a year and a half, the guy's trying to collect seven grand from me. And I'm like, well, I'll pay you. But I mean, I got an advance to do a record just so I could pay my attorney yeah. because they tied me up. But there's, that's a whole different story. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> it's it, funny it, because Bruce said something very similar. You know, the getting off of that label was such uh, uh, it was a story unto itself. I mean, at least you guys got off the right, labels, you right. know. I mean, right. I was stuck on a label where mine was pure metal, dude. Those guys, they just split the country with everything. Like, and contractually, you still couldn't sign anywhere else. We couldn't. Well, we just eventually just said, screw it. We're just going to do another record because with somebody else, because they're, they're nowhere. They're not going to care. They, right. I, I have never once seen a royalty statement from the first Crucified album. I have no idea whatsoever who even owns it who do uh well we own it now or right, tooth and nail good. actually actually tooth and nail might own it because i think they bought it somehow okay uh, but i never saw uh, a single statement of any kind it just it just was um i mean i don't know that it was exclusive to christian rock or whatever or to you know to those kinds of labels you know because if you remember like 
there was always like a huge, huge stigma on a lot of those like early punk labels. You know, Mystic Records was notorious uh, uh, in the Oxnard, California area. They were notorious for just not paying bands. Oh yeah, you know, uh, and that was why when like Discord started or or uh, Sub Pop or whatever, it was like, yeah, dude, and we're actually not going to screw you over. And that was like a newsworthy th- thing. Yeah, it's just so common, man. You know, and then the record industry wonders why their industry crumbled right underneath them, which 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 kind of brings me to something. You know, I mean, here we are. We're we're um, 2014. The record industry has essentially there's like one apple left on that tree, maybe maybe two, maybe a branch. We'll give it a branch. Uh, the rest of the tree is withered. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people have have walked into a to the label and. And watch the executives walking out as they're walking in to go talk to them. But um, in this era, you know, the ideal is, hey, you don't need labels anymore. You can do it yourself. And, you know, I've heard that many times by people, but I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do it quite to the fullest um, until I noticed what you're doing over here. I mean, man... And this isn't like a, a overnight thing. I know you've been working on this for a long time, but I'd like to kind of, I don't know, for the for the people who are are contemplating doing this on their own. Let's say it's it's they're they're us in 1990. You know, um, they have the capacity to create their own music if they have the desire and obviously the ability. But you know, the the tools are there. How do you see the current? climate versus then and, and and just sort of like if if it was you right now how would you get going how would you start and how would you get to where you are right now because I now mean, watch some of those videos it's out of control it's out of control you look like you're in a spaceship which in a way is kind of like your fulfillment of your childhood dream of being in nasa exactly so i kind of got both my both my childhood <laughs> fantasies fulfilled i'm in a spaceship and i make music for a living in wow. my spaceship um well that's like a that's a that's a a loaded question and there's a lot of parts to it probably and and part of it I guess is giving a little bit of history of how I even got here like you said yeah it's a long time coming this was not overnight and you know we talked about it the other night but for the sake of the podcast let let me reiterate that you know from the outside looking in I think a lot of people have said to me and said to my people like oh yeah he's really successful you know in my eyes I'm I'm not successful at all in my eyes I have a long way to go but it's because I've been on this journey and I've gained any ground that I've gained inch by inch. I didn't wake up one morning and boom, nepotism. Mom and dad left me the inheritance and I'm like, here I am, man. Like, n- there's none of that. Like, every dime I've, any year you see in this shot, it's all, it's all come from my hard work. Uh, my, the other employees I have, the other guy, the other artist, the great artist signed to my label. That was all done internally over a long period of time with a lot of failure. A lot of failure. What happened, and starting with the theme of failure, what happened is the record industry failed me. So we were just talking about me being caught in a really shitty deal with Rex. They wouldn't let me go, but they were like, hey, we're about to file for bankruptcy, maybe. So we can't let you go, um, but we can't give you money to do another record. So I was basically going to them like, what am I supposed to do? They're like, the shrug, that's all I got. But I couldn't do anything, I was paralyzed. So out of that failure, once I was through the legality of all that and was clear of them, I had to figure out how to um, how to make my own path. 
and and in between that what really happened there was the whole Chris Angel thing I had, Chris had contacted me it's a lo- whole different story we can get into later on but after the Chris Angel thing we had we had parted ways he did his he went off to do his Vegas show and I started Celldweller and I had to figure out how to do the artwork for my albums. I had to figure out how to record them, mix them, master them. I had to figure out how to get them manufactured, distributed. I had to figure out how do I get t-shirts made. And I learned some of this from the Circle of Dust like backbone, that I, the, the background that I had. But there was still a lot of questions. So as I was doing that, failing, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you can relate, I've gone to guys that are like, hey, I can make shirts for you. Okay, cool. You give them a $1,000 advance and never see a single shirt, or you get a shirt, it looks like I remember getting one of my first shirts. It was freaking bulletproof. That you could have shot me in the chest, and I would have been fine because the the, the ink was so thick. It, like Iron yeah. Man would be jealous. Don't get caught in the sun on that with that sucker on, man. It'll it'll glue to you. Yeah, it was disgusting. So I, I've been through so many of those. So a lot of those failures got me to a point when I started my own thing as cell dweller. I'd made enough mistakes where I had enough to know how to kind of move forward. At the same time, the record industry is crumbling. And I don't have a support system. I had a manager, my, my, my manager and longtime friend, Tyler Bacon. So he and I together just kind of formulated plans based on there's no record deal in place, although there was one to come, which we can cover, which is another nightmare in my life. But um, at the moment, no record, no record deal. Um, all self-funded. I went into an extreme amount of debt. Um, and but but in in the process made my systems learned how to make 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 merchandise manufacture CDs what am I doing for publicity I I can't really afford a lot of that stuff so I go to the web you know mp3.com back in the day it was the one place on the web at the time that was like hey put your songs up and the more people you drive to to listen to your tracks we'll pay you a pittance uh-huh. and I got a pittance and that pittance helped pay my rent so I was driving as much traffic as I could go listen to my stuff at mp3.com because I might make 150 bucks this month which will help me stay alive sure. you know it was it was it was scant times I mean they were they were they were it was, it was you know those were dark times but I didn't care I was so excited about the fact that I was making music for a living that never even dawned on me how actually dire my situation really was and God bless them my friends my family out of the kindness of their heart, were all like, "Hey, you really should, you really should consider doing something else." Buka, as we know, a good friend of mine has been for decades. Um, mm-hmm. One of my earliest childhood friends remains one of my closest friends to this day. And I remember a phone call one day where he called me up and he's like, he was already climbing the ladder at MTV. He was up there and he's like. I was doing all my own, web, my own web design because I didn't have anybody else to do it and I couldn't afford right. to pay anyone. So I learned how to do it myself and did it. He's like, dude, you're halfway decent at web design. I can get you a job at MTV doing web design. And I hesitated for about a half a second. And I was like, <laughs> right. I love you, man, but no. I'm like, okay. until, until my life was endangered, that might be the point that I'd go, okay, let me think about another option. Until Before that, there were, there were no other options in my mind. Like The, 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 only, way fo- uh, the only way through is forward. I have to go forward. There is no back back door. There's no backup plan.
to answer, ultimately answer your question, I just need to give a little history. So I'll continue with the oh, history. Please am, do, man. Am I talking There's too much? No better time than now. All right. So I go through this whole process. I put myself 60K in the hole on credit cards. I had 10 credit cards that I was juggling and I was using one credit card to pay the other because I... I needed to figure out how to do this. So this wasn't like, oh, I was just barely getting by, but I was I was yeah. cool. I was heavily in debt. I was gambling everything I had on music working sure, out. Sure. So circa 99, maybe 2000, I so got 10 years of this. I mean, really? Yeah, oh yeah, since Circle? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I put one Circle of Dust album out in 97, but that was the one that I had to do for money to pay off the attorney to get out of the Rex deal. But during that time, I was actually working with Chris Angel. 99, yeah. January 99, I officially started Cell Dweller. We parted ways. I started Cell Dweller in January 99. Okay. Okay. So close to that, after my first um I I had gone even more into debt, came out to Detroit. So I'm a New Yorker. Came out to Detroit to work with my friend Grant Mormon, um, who's another very close friend of mine. And uh, he had just opened a studio. I came out here to record, broke. And the only reason I came out here is because he was cutting me a deal. And he just opened the studio. I was the guinea pig. And I was cool with being the guinea pig if it meant I could record really cheap. So I do that, put together like three or four good sounding demos. And I learned a lot from him as a producer because he taught me a lot of things. I, there was no YouTube. I couldn't learn how to produce. So I learned a lot from him. I garnered the interest of this label called, at the time, W Records. W Records was an offshoot of Walden Media, owned by Philip Anschutz, the third richest person, I think, in the U.S. at the time. Walden Media went on to make all the Chronicles of Narnia films and okay. Earth to Echo and all these big films that we see now. They're still in existence, but they started a label and they wanted to sign me. I was the one and only artist that they ended up signing, ultimately. So all of a sudden, my life, in that moment, the thing that I've always dreamed of, of like this, you know, the heavens open, the angels come down, they're blowing their trumpets, it's like, hey, here's a gift for you, you've worked hard, you deserve it, your life is about to change. So I thought, I got a huge advance, huge was relative. At the time, that huge advance allowed me to pay off 60K of debt, buy okay. the first car I've ever bought on my own, uh, which was not new, it was used, and uh, have a little bit of money to live on, right? Sure. So you can do the math and roughly know what that was. Um, and uh, so I'm, go I'm consistently going back and forth to LA, working on my album, getting mixes by guys like Ben Gross, Scott Humphrey, who's, Scott Humphrey's been, you know, like, uh, you know, Tommy Lee and Rob Zombie and all these big dudes, and Ben Gross has a, a, a list a mile long of people he's produced and mixed. So they're mixing my album. How did you get in, in, in touch with him? Through the guy who's running W Record. Through the label? Okay. I had, right. had those relationships. It had nothing to do with me. Gotcha. So, and to be honest, my cheap side, I'm used to just... I'm used to humping it, man. Like, I'm like, don't, we don't want to spend $10,000 on a mix, but they're going, no, we're spending 10 grand. This is going to be right. We're, we're competing with the big boys. I'm like, all right. Me, you know, being naive enough to go, not even thinking about the fact that I have to recoup this money. Well, the good news is that I didn't end up having to ever recoup that money in the traditional way because 9-11 happened, the economy collapsed, and they announced to me one day shortly thereafter, we're folding the label, and P.S., um, we need that that three hundred grand back. What did they think you were doing with the three hundred grand? I don't know. I mean, uh, a, a large portion of that went towards the recording, so I never actually saw that as cash. But I maybe had a hundred grand. I paid sixty in debt, bought a car for I think twenty used or fifteen, whatever it was, and then I was living on the on the remainder of the money over the course of like almost a year. So there wasn't a whole lot left. So when they yeah. were like, "Okay, we're done, and we need that money back." Uh, I'm, I, you're gonna get blood from a stone? I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. So, 
What ended up happening is I had to pay my attorney, who I had just paid 25 grand to negotiate the deal, more money to unnegotiate the deal in which they weren't giving their money back. The attorney didn't give the money back. Like that money was gone and I just had to recoup it. So the, the deal I ended up in uh, with ultimately after that was 50% of any money that, that I generated off the music that I was making, including the music that they didn't have anything to do with yet, they were garnering and taking towards recouping. So for two or three years, maybe four or five, I, I, it's a blur after that, that's when I started landing like trailers, movie trailers, a lot of movie trailers, more than I even knew were possible. I didn't even know how that even worked. It did, and I was making a lot of money. Unfortunately, yeah. they were actually making a lot of money. I was getting very little. So after all that was divvied up, I was making very little money. So let me just skip past all the bullshit because there's a lot of it. Um, I finally like lay that deal to rest. I'm finally making my own money, and um, I'm back to being indie. So. I, I went back to Detroit to finish my album with Grant, worked out a deal with him where he was working with me on the cheap so we could finish the album together just in his place, finish my album, self-produce it, put it out, it charts on billboards, on, on the billboard charts, number 17, like on the day of release, right? Um, wow. Which was, was amazing to me that I even had that many fans left. I thought at this point everybody sure. bailed on me, right? But they didn't, so I, I have great fans and I'm really thankful for them to this day. Um, so I, as I'm doing this, and I start, I put together a band, and I decide I'm going to tour and all this stuff. But as I'm like assessing all this, I'm going, okay, I'm not going to get another deal. In fact, part of my the wrap up from that big deal I had with W, they tried to sell me off to other labels. So I met with Atlantic, I met with Lava, who's a division of Atlantic. I met, I can give you a list a mile long of the majors whose offices I sat in, um, who basically said my music was too avant-garde. It didn't sound like anything on radio. In fact, one guy said to me, I won't name the label or the individual, but he said to me, looked me right in the eyes and said, if you will write a song that sounds like corn meets Limp Biscuit, but with a little bit of your style, we'll sign you right now. And I said, bye. I'm like, no, not interested. I'm not corn. I'm not Limp Biscuit, and I don't want to be anything like them. I don't give a shit. So I, I, and you know, maybe I was stupid for doing that, but I, and now I look back and go, thank God I did that. Yeah, I man. bailed. I'm like, I'm, I don't care. So they couldn't sell off my deal. So that's when they were like, okay, you got to pay us. You got to give us all this money back because we can't sell your deal off. So I'm sitting here and going, okay, I'm never going to take another deal. In fact, if somebody offered me one. I've gotten boned so many times in the deal. I didn't even finish the wreck story and the deal I had after that I got boned on. Um, wow, I can go on and on about the failures of my career and how long ago I should have given up and how many times I should have given up. Just too dumb to ever pull the plug. I was just too stupid. So if I'm here and people view me as a success, it's because I'm just too dumb to give up. I, I just, I'm just that stupid. New York Italian, man, I'm thick-headed. I can't, I can't Listen, help it. Listen, man, we talked about this, you know, when we talked the other day. It's... I mean, the, so much of the emphasis of the show is on getting to that point to where whether whether you are are you know whether you are successful, um, whether you seem like you're successful but are really not, or whether you just straight up fail. I think just so much of our culture, it, it if you ask them, they would never say this plainly. But I think a lot of people just in the back of their minds, they think that it, that time after that, you, you're just, you just are gone. You just, you die or you, mm -hmm. I don't know, you go work Drop and, out of you existence. Know, you become an old Bruce Springsteen jam. You know what I mean? Like you right. just like, oh, he was that. Now he's working at the car wash where all it ever does is rain. Like seriously, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I really think that's the, that's the perception of, of, of people. And honestly, I mean, I've asked myself a couple times, like, you know, 
what now or whatever, you know? And so to, to, to see you at, at, um, at a place like this where, where, you know, you keep saying like too dumb to quit, too dumb to pull the plug. I, I guess I could, I can see where you're going with that. But I also think you could just as equally say, you just want it, man. You want it. And you, uh, and, and honestly, it's not even this, there's no it, you know, there's no, there's no it to want because if I asked you, what do you ultimately want from if for yourself as a musician, you would probably say something more am, ambiguous, like peace right. or right. joy, or you're not going to say like this level of sales, this gig, you know what I mean? Like, yep. But, yep. but growing up, you kind of think like, man, if I could just do this or if I could just do that, this would be so great. And you know, I think that that's a testament to a person who is an artist, man. I mean, at the end of the day, music is art and you are still just an artist. And if you stop being creative, you stop be- being an artist, you are dead. Oh, yeah. You know, and there are people who, there are people who do they hit adversity or feel like they've accomplished everything they want. And they're like, OK, what's next? Nothing, I guess. All right. Just wind down. I, I've never under, I've never understood that. Like you said, like artists that I've liked and watched and observed and all of a sudden one day go, man, they, they're off the radar. I wonder if they're ever, if they're even making music and you look them up and they're just gone. Like they're just gone. Yeah. I don't know. I never understood because in my mind, once this started for me making music for a living, I'm like, this is what I have to do until I take my very last breath. Like I'm going to be making music. I don't even care if it's fart sounds on a, for 70 minutes on a, on, on a release. But if that's what makes me happy at that point in my life, if I live that long, great, uh, then I can do it. I, I just want to be making music, whatever that, whatever that means. So I, I basically building all these paradigms, building all these protocols to support my own career. One day I had this epiphany, and I'm like, I have a brother who makes great music, but he doesn't know what to do with it or how to get it out there. And I'm like, you know what? 
I'm gonna just form a label and everything I'm doing for myself, I'm gonna just pass this on to my brother. I'll sign him officially, um, and I signed him, and we haven't even released anything since because he's got other priorities right now. He'll eventually get back to making music, but that's that was the the impetus that really began what became Fix, which is my label, um, online store, publicity. I mean, I have it's a mile long what we do, but everything is in house because we can't rely on anybody else. So I built all that out of a necessity to support my own career because nobody else would do it and I found out that even when I paid a radio guy or I paid a publicist a ridiculous and ludicrous amount of money they don't give a shit about my career as much as I do so I realized that like I had to you know and maybe I'm a control freak and I am but like I've learned in my life and in my career the only way to make stuff happen is to take it into your own hands. It's great if yeah. you have a team that will that is behind you and loves you and they really want to, but ultimately, people have their own interests and their own objectives and their own goals. Until you find somebody who's really like-minded, um, and I have, I you know, from my first employee, James Rhodes, on down the line, I'm up, I have, you know, I think I'm at 18 employees now and everybody is, they're great. They're, they're great, they're awesome, like they're, and worldwide. Um, they're awesome. I have an artist in Russia. She's incredibly talented. Most of my art that you've seen around my new albums, a lot of the stuff I'm doing, she's done. Um, I have another artist in Canada who's there, web, a web guy in Canada. So we're spread throughout the world. Um, and we and we have an awesome team because we've had to also, in the same sense, filter out the people who don't have, they're not like-minded and they don't care about your product as much as you do. So you're an artist and you're starting right now. How do you succeed? Well, the good news is you don't need a label. It's true. The bad news is there are a billion other people now. When we were making music and getting signed to labels, there was a lot less competition. And if you got a deal, you got ahead of the game, ahead of game even if it was on a shitty label. Yeah. Now, a label doesn't really mean much unless they're putting their money where their mouth is. Because I, I know artists that I've signed that have been signed to labels that all they do is take their product and put it on iTunes. That artist doesn't know that they can just do that themselves. Right. What are they doing right. after that? Are they promoting your product? Are they... Um, are, they, are they running a publicity campaign? Are they trying to promote your sales? Are they putting you on tour with artists? Get, you know, setting up other collaborations with other artists? Whatever needs to be done. Hiring producers, mixers, whatever it takes to make the record the best that it can be. Um, so there is a difference. So that's kind of like where I've developed this label is I only want to sign artists that I care about, who I feel work hard, want it as badly as I did. Um, and then the support system that I built for myself now we can pass this on to them and they're going to benefit more than if they did it themselves. But that's not to say, and I'm not here saying, you need to sign to a label, because I didn't. And, I, and when I did, I got bent right. over the couch multiple, multiple times. But from my perspective, my label, I'm treating artists differently because I got bent over the couch. I don't want to do that to them. So, you know, my deals right out of the gate are not 85-15, which was industry standard, where 85% goes to the label. This is a right. partnership, so we're basically splitting everything 50-50. Like, I want this to be you as equally as much as us. Like, this, this, this is the way it should be. And yeah. maybe that's the new paradigm, but like you said, I'm off in a basement not really paying attention to what's going on. That's very much the, the, I've made my own rules. And I'm not sitting here saying that in an arrogant way. I'm doing this out of necessity. I made my own rules because nobody would tell me what the rules were. And mm -hmm. nobody knew what the rules were. They, no, nobody still knows what the rules are, right? Nobody knows. They keep changing them. They keep changing them. So yeah. I adapt and the label and the company adapts as we need to. But for the most part, I'm more 
I'm more excited and interested about leading. And I don't mean leading by like, I'm out there lobbying to be like, elect me as president. Let's announce right. to the world that I'm the leader of this movement. I don't care. I don't, I don't give a shit about that. I just care about taking care of my people and my own career and supporting that. So if something I'm doing works for me and works for my artists, that's all I really care about. And I, I got paid the highest compliment from somebody in the industry um, about a year ago. He, he did the same thing as you. He hadn't seen me in a while. Uh, not, not anybody I even knew. It was somebody I was working with on a professional level for the first time. So he did some research into my career. Got on the phone with me and he's like, I'm a little bit mystified how the record industry is getting, they're sinking into this ocean of waste. Nobody knows what's going on. And here you are floating on the waves just above it, not even paying attention to anything that's going on. And I said, I hate to sound like a dick. I hope I don't sound like a dick, but that's exactly what it is. I don't care what the industry is doing because it doesn't care what I'm doing. It never did. My fans care about what I'm doing. So I've had, you know, I release my music in chapters, a couple of songs at a time. I didn't learn that paradigm from somebody else. And, and, and I'm not saying that nobody else has done that. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Elvis did that, man. They did, they did records. They did 45s. One song and a B-side. It's two songs. So I'm doing the same idea. It's back to the single. And then when you're done, you collect that and more. And you make your album. And you release that as an album proper. But I made these paradigms up and protocols between me and my employees through trial and error. What works, what doesn't work. Um, so... Yeah, kind of, you know, kind of trying to answer the multiple questions we have floating in the ether right now. <laughs> I am just pretty much ignoring everybody. I am. I, I'm not technically in a basement, um, but I have been up until this studio. I yeah. make m music mostly okay. in, in, in cellars, which my mom was really the one who dubbed me a cellar dweller <laughs> in the 90s when I was doing the Circle of Dust stuff because I was literally in an unfinished cement basement, unfinished ceilings. Um, my rig that I owned, which was so modest, it was ridiculous, was sitting on top of a cardboard box with two speakers that I had gotten from Radio Show. I think I tracked in there, man. You did? Oh, wait. No, the no, no. That, that, was, that was an upgrade. You never saw my original place. No you, kidding. Yeah, that was a basement. <sighs> That and that was that was kind of palatial compared to the original basement. I did uh, most of my early Circle of Dust records. It was literally an Amen. unfinished basement. And when I would get tired, I'd literally lay on the cement floor and sack out for like 15 minutes because I knew I was going to be so uncomfortable that <laughs> I would have to wake up. I couldn't sleep long. Yeah. So um, and there were a lot of spiders, so you'd kind of hate it. But oh, it was it was yeah. just this dingy New York basement. But the one you tracked in, which you tracked your vocals in a closet. It was, it was like an abandoned closet in the corner. I remember that, man. It was like, that was, it, you know, I look back now and probably you guys thought it. I just was living there. So I existed. I blocked it out. This is how I live. What am I going to do? But most people that came down there was like, how does he live like this? Like, why would he live like this? You know? I thought it was kind of cool, man. I mean, you know, but minus the spiders, I, I'm all about it. Yeah. Though there wasn't many spiders in that place. So you were pretty safe, actually. But yeah, so I existed in basements and cellars and this is the first real... This, this took me two and a half years to build, and this is just the one room. I have drum room, and uh, my, one of my assistants is in a room over there. I've got a vocal booth, like a first-time ever dedicated. No closet? No closet. Whoa. This Whoa. is just a big empty basement, 2,400 square feet of nothingness that I turned into a three-room facility. So I have other artists in other rooms, Blue Stolly being one of them, um, who is one of the, the first artists that I signed um, after my brother that really... Like his heart and soul, his passion, his life story was to, he, he just wanted to make music. And in the same way that I, the, the same situation I was in, just assumed it could never happen. And he's got a great story on how this all unfolded for him. But I, you know, maybe someday you'd like to interview him and ha get Absolutely. that story because it's, it's pretty intriguing. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a large part of, there's a large part of Providence 
involved in my story. Um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I have praying. I have a praying mom, and unfortunately, you know, an Italian mother, man, God has a hard time not listening to her because she speaks really loud. <laughs> so he must have heard her because even when I just didn't even care about any of that, um, man, things just worked out in life because one little, we talked about it the other night, one little fork in the road for either of us in our careers could have meant a completely different path for us. Music yeah. would have been back burner, bye bye, it would have been over. You know, art would have been back burner, bye bye, over, would have been over. Yep. So you, you found your, you, you found your place, you kind of, it seems like you found your kind of your comfort zone as far as where you could really get some work done, you know? Uh, I mean, when, it's, it's one thing when you're, when you're playing by their rules, you know, you can never get settled and, and get anything done. I mean, you're a pretty prolific writer. We're talking about, obviously, as we've established, a, a pretty decent stretch of career. But also, I mean, it's not like you put out one one album every five years or something like that. I mean, there's a lot going on, and it seems like when you're when you're working on one project, there's also like a little side thing that's going to get shot out over here, and a little thing over, you know. Um, so I think it's it's. I don't know. It seems to me like you've you've definitely found a, you know, your wheelhouse, if if for lack of a better term. Um, so I I guess slightly sh shifting. I I'm curious. Um, I'm just gonna you know obviously people want to know about Argyle Park. They want to know about um, uh, at least the people who who listen to my show. They want to know about even Chatterbox or or, or uh, you know Circle of Dust. But you know. I'm more interested in um, in in what kind of peaks you. I mean, we're talking about these, and I figure that all the rest of that stuff will kind of come out in its own time, you know. Um, but you know, for for myself, writing music, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a it's been pretty much the same process since I left the crucified, and even partially during the time I was in the crucified, but. You know, I, I have to hear the music. I uh, I listen to the mood that the music is setting, and then I, I sort of write the lyrics that that generates in, that that mood generates in my head. You know, and obviously it ties into with whatever I'm going through at the time. You know, um, that I understand because I understand the dynamic of a band and and the guys in the room and the thing. But we're talking, you know, especially with all the what we just covered. I mean, there's so much. So uh, alone time, you know, and just kind of climbing inside your own skull to figure out what's in there. You know, I was curious, especially listening to the new project, which I definitely want to get into, you know, where does the, where does the, where do you get hot for an idea? I mean, where does that come from? Is it just sort of like, you're just sort of constantly looping and waiting for, you know, imperfections to create a new ripple and you can follow that one. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me that a person who's, who's essentially a solo artist for, for every respect of the word, um, could continue to generate fresh ideas and, and, um, and, uh, kind of go down these different paths. So if you want, you know, kind of, Weigh in on that, and especially with with the with the end of the end of, end of an empire uh, and, and all four chapters, etc. Like, what do you? Well, where, I mean, that it's coming from, man. I I, I I honestly don't know, and 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 I think again, it's one of those things when you look from the outside in, 
it's easier to dissect that in my mind. This is just the way I've always been. For starters, I've always been an insular kid. I didn't have many friends as a kid. The only friends I had uh, were the guys that were taking enough time to kick my ass in school. Those, those, are, those are the kids that paid me the most attention. The ones I that were those kids, right? They, they, yeah. they were out there, man. So if I grew up to be a dick, or if I ended up having any skills as far as like you know punching somebody in the face or something, it's only because those kids taught me that I had I had to learn, you know. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, so I always had a, a really vivid imagination, even from my childhood, man. I, I, I didn't have any friends. So I used to sit around with little like rubber toys of like Frankensteins and dinosaurs and King Kongs and Godzillas, man. And I'd make them fight in the sandbox. And I created these worlds in my own head. So that doesn't really necessarily matter, but it just showed me um, that I, later in life, that I could look back on that and be like, oh, I guess I had a pretty vivid imagination as a kid. And I think sure. that translated in, in, in my adulthood. I've never been like, I've never been like a party guy. I don't care about going to parties. I don't care about big social gatherings. I can do it. I could be the life of the party if I had to be. I don't like it. I'd rather just be the guy that stands in the corner and nobody notices. Um, I don't always get to play that role. Um, but I can adapt and I've learned to adapt. But naturally, I'm best when I'm just left alone. Like everybody just leaves me alone. I'm, I'm best. It's good to interface with people once in a while. But even like... Uh, songwriting wise and stuff I, I, I the reason I, I started doing Circle of Dust is because I played in bands I was in, I was a drummer in a metal band for like five or six years that's how I cut my mm -hmm. teeth and I realized these guys didn't take me seriously because I was the drummer they wouldn't let me write songs they wouldn't let me play the guitar so I snuck it in whenever I could um, and as soon as I discovered a sequencer I instantly was like smell you later guys I'm yeah. doing this by myself because now I don't have to wait for your approval you can't tell mm -hmm. me it sucks I can tell me it sucks and I've learned that I'm I'm a better, I'm going to be more stringent on my musical output than someone else. Because you might hear something I do and go, oh, that's really cool. Where I'm inside going, that sucks, man. you got to make this. This mm -hmm. has got to be way better than this. Someone goes, oh, that's cool. You go, oh, yeah? All right, cool. Then I guess it's cool. Let's just continue. Right. So I, I've been harder on myself when I work solo. I feel like I'll end up with a better product by myself. Where it comes from, it's much like you already said about yourself. You're pulling from where are you at right now? What inspires you? Um, my new album, End of an Empire, you know, I, I, I can't say, I can't be objective. I just know the people around me that are very acutely uh, and intimately knowledgeable about my back catalog more than me. They can probably tell me songs that I wrote that I don't remember right. have told me that this album is the best thing I've ever written, which is complimentary. And I know they're not just hand jobbing me because I'd mm -hmm. fire them if they did because I, I, don't, I don't permit that. I don't, don't tell me something's good if it's not because you're not making me better or make me feel better. You're lying right. to me. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that people feel that way and it feels like it's also resonating from, from my fan base too, which is really cool. And, and, and all it is is just picking up little inspirations from little musical things. I did some remixes for some metal bands and it made me go, you know, I haven't done like a really like heavier kind of metal based thing in a while. Let me, let me just play with production. And that's where I find a lot of ideas is trying to figure out production. So all of this gear you're seeing over here, which you're not even seeing all of, but sometimes I will just plug something in and a weird sound will come out and all of a sudden that will inspire idea but a lot of times yeah. it still comes down to a piano and a vocal or a guitar riff or some character and a drum beat that I'm just like compressing the death out of and it's just like oh that's a really cool I come up with a melody over that um, but I don't I don't I can't, I can't see my music and I don't know if you've had the same issue ever you've done projects where they sounded pretty distinctly different Neon Horse sounded very different from Stavesacre which sounded very different from Crucified all the way down mm -hmm. the line White Lighter sounds different than all of those right so so how how in your and like in your mind do you sit there and go 
oh yeah, these are very different projects. In my in my mind, I, I don't. I just go, this is just a continuation of what I do. Like, I'm just, whatever the inspiration is at the time, whatever my production capabilities are, like a lot of this gear I have, I'm doing a lot of my sound design instead of in the box. I'm doing it through this hardware and it's much more time consuming, mm-hmm. but I'm coming up with sounds that I never could have come up with before. Sure. So that in itself- And they're your is, sounds. And they're my sounds, yeah, obviously. I'm, from start to finish, I'm patching every single cable that's creating those sounds. And 90% of the time, they suck, they're terrible. But the 10% is what, I, what I'm working for. Those 10% like gold nuggets.
you're you're essentially creating sounds from thin air and then I don't know. I feel like I'm blowing smoke up your ass right no, now. No, no. I I'm I mean, believe me, it's flattering because I don't ever hear it because I'm never really around anybody that's you know that's say that. So <laughs> Well, suffice to say I could not work for you. But <laughs> but you know, I mean seriously, just being it's it's honest though. It's a musician, you know, a singer to a singer, uh and, and I always defer to the musicians, but you know, because what you guys do is beyond my capacity. I was curious kind of where, like this whole end of an empire thing, I mean, there's obviously a lot of thought has gone into it. Obviously, a lot of planning on your part is sort of happening. And, you know, it seems like you kind of have a path that you're taking it down. Um, I mean, I, I think people would love to hear about it and kind of see where kind of maybe give them a little more to chew on. Obviously, I don't, I hate it when people explain lyrics or explain the song away. It's like, where's the mystery, right. man? And I, I won't, you know? I won't. I, I, I've already, I'm, I, yeah. I wouldn't think you would, yeah. you know, but give them a little, uh, you know. Oh, I, I'm not bashful at all. Yeah, I'm not bashful at all about talking about the new album, um, for sure, because again, it comes down to that vivid imagination I was talking about as a kid. Like, I can't, and, and, and I, you know, because I'm not on a label, no one else can tell me what to do. I can do anything I want. It's just like, am I being stupid by doing this or is this a smart thing? But I can't help but tell a story over the course of an entire album. I've been doing that for my last few albums. Actually, all my, really all my Cell Dweller albums, I've done that. Um, but they're getting even more conceptual. And End of an Empire is the greatest example of that, where the entire album is a theme of the idea of an end of an empire, like like, um, and let me explain a little bit about what that means. So uh, before I explain it, though, that that's why there's some cohesiveness to um, maybe the sound of the music, which I have, I don't have planned. I I, I still have two more songs to write to finish this album, and I don't even know what I have no clue what they're going to sound like until I start doing something. Um, it's just kind of whatever mode I'm in production-wise will will influence that. Um, but lyrically and ide- ideologically, like. Uh, for some 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 reason I was demoing the first of the songs for this album, and I generally I don't know how you work. I step into a vocal booth and I spit out whatever comes out of my mouth just to get melodies. I don't care about the lyrics, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of times those lyrics, even in their their fragmented oh, yeah. state, a word will pop out that'll stick out. One me. word, right? One word, and it's like that will set the tone of the whole song. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, two albums in a row now that has set the tone of the whole album. So I s- said something about uh, uh, end of an empire, just kind of popped into my head came out of my mouth and I'm like end of an empire because it's a phrase I've heard you know you've already, you've heard that sure. phrase from a childhood oh it's an end of an empire you know but we learned it in history class I don't care about history class I can't I don't want to say I don't want to sound callous and I don't care about history but I'm a future guy I love the idea of sure. our cosmos I love the idea of planets and nebulas and like the, the things we haven't discovered and where we are going as a human race and even beyond that so that's more what fascinates me so in my mind I'm not thinking about telling the story of an empire that existed that failed or lived, but creating a future empire, a fictional empire, and that's what I've done through the artwork and in the story. But that's all cool for the sake of a story, like you were saying, like, oh, I feel like I'm watching a movie. Well, that's, I, I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm cr- trying to create those visuals, whether I realize it or not, it, through the music. But the, the, the actual underlying theme was I, I have four chapters. So I release them two songs at a time with a bunch of bonus stuff for the people who care about bonus stuff. And I get a fuller release out of... Jo- I'm not just putting out just two songs. There's a lot more content than that. But the two main songs. So I started thinking about an empire. And I'm like, okay, 
what 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 is my empire and somewhere along like I'm not one of these guys that sits down and stares at a computer screen or goes for a walk in the woods and ponders the meaning of life I work <laughs> or I try to sleep and as I'm doing that these things that are constantly stewing in the back of my brain come to the front and I get these like sure. epiphanies right like I don't decidedly just go hmm I'm going to think about this it just kind of just it, it just seeps and comes out and sure. this moment hit me where I was thinking about my grandfather who I, I credit largely to the reason I'm sitting here surrounded by musical things because he's the guy who got me interested in music, not even playing it, just listening to it. He was a music, yeah. couldn't play an instrument at all, but he loved music, surrounded me with it. As a, from a child, he would take me into his room, vinyl everywhere, he'd set up a record and he'd put headphones on, I have pictures of it, me just sitting in his chair listening to music and I'd be listening to disco and classical music and jazz, whatever he'd be playing, I loved it. That's what made me love music. And I thought about him when he died, and I'm like, you know, when he died, he left behind people like me, my family, his wife, people that represent, he represented an empire to. So then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, the idea of life itself as an empire. Time is an empire. You know, like, like the concept of time, that's the thing, what humans, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy more time. You're not gonna get it, it doesn't matter what you do. Love is an empire. You fall in love with somebody, that relationship either grows or falls apart to a lot of people that is their entire life that's all they can see that's all they can focus on it, rep it represents an empire uh, dreams and when I say dreams like we discussed this the other night briefly I don't mean dreams when you go to sleep and have a dream I mean your passion what are you living for what do you want to do um, what do you want to accomplish and they don't even need to be lofty some people's dreams are literally to get married and have kids and there's nothing wrong with that but that is a reason that people live that's a reason for people to continue waking up in the morning when people lose their vision they lose their dreams they lose their reason to live a lot of the times um, so those are the type of dreams that I go man those die that's an end of an, that's the end of an empire to a lot of people their whole lives end. their whole world really caves in on itself when that drives. so I was like I'm breaking up this empire into four chapters so th there's time love dreams is going to be out in uh by the time this podcast is out, it comes out march 14th so dreams uh will be out so three out of the four will be done the fourth i can't mention what it is yet um because i don't announce them until but there is a fourth empire then i will finish writing more songs that people have never heard and put that together as a final album now the other thing i'm also doing uh, uh, that's coinciding with this is I'm writing factions. Factions are these little instrumental, oftentimes instrumental, sometimes they have alien and robot voices that I'm creating. I'm just going into the vocal booth and making sounds and creating dialogues between races of androids and aliens that don't even exist. <laughs> I'm just creating my own world just because I want to. I know, to. dude. I was, I was listening to it, man. Oh, like, so you heard some of it, right? <laughs> come, on, come down to Earth and like... Dude, I kind of just want to close my eyes and lay on the floor for a while and just kind of, you know, check out for a little bit. That's highly it, complimentary. I mean, it's not really, honestly, it's not my style of music, but I don't really have a style of music. So to me, it's just, if it's good, it's just good. And like, right. You know, you said there's more content. It's not just two songs or whatever. Like, I noticed a lot of remixes and things like that. I mean, is it people that you're collaborating with? Is it is it sort of different personalities of your own? Is it stuff that you prefer not to state? I mean, no, no. I, the, 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 I, I, you know, 
learning from my mistakes. Like I was telling you, Argyle Park, I was three out of the four, or I was two out of the three members, and then I also produced the rest. So I was really three people on the Argyle Park album, but I just gave myself three different names because I, I didn't <laughs> care. Anonymity didn't matter to me, so uh, it, was pre mm -hmm. it was preferred. But uh, because of those mistakes, if, if I want to call them mistakes, but coming down that path, I've decided since I was doing Cell Dweller, I am Cell Dweller, and that's all I'm doing. So... <clears throat> um, all of those remixes, if it says it's remixed by this artist or that artist, that's who it is. Some of these are guys that I know. Uh, other uh -huh. ones are guys that I respect as musicians. And other ones are just like we'd hit up labels and be like, hey, we have some artists that are available to do. I just wanted to offer for fans um, a different take on the music and give them more content. Um, I've never seen remixes. Like when I do remixes, I don't consider them filler. I spend just as much time on a remix as I do a regular song unfortunately for me but that's just the way it works out um, so I've, I've seen them as just somebody you know you have a vision you, have a, you, you do your thing and then you give it to somebody else who has a totally different mindset they do something with it and you step back and go wow I never even thought to do that that's really cool so that's really that, that's what that it was an exercise in that um, but the factions are those are all me I mean I'm, I'm doing those and a lot of times those musically are derivative of the main two songs on that same chapter so the two, okay. two or three factions that will be on the, the same chapter, Time, there were two main songs, Lost in Time and End of an Empire, and then the two, fa the two main factions, not the opening one, but the two main factions, musically are somehow reconstructions some, somewhat, not a remix. I'm actually replaying guitars like there, there's uh -huh. um, on, on, on Dreams, for instance, which hasn't come out yet. I have a song called Good Luck You're Fucked, which is actually, a, a, it was a th an opening song in my mind for a script that a, a friend and I are writing for a movie. And this dude is in a, he's in a punk, an electronic punk rock band, and he's playing at this place called Blondie's in Detroit. Um, and there's just nobody there. But the energy and the music is super. So I actually stepped outside of myself, wrote this track as this other dude, which is really liberating. Um, yeah. And then when I, when, I, when I realized, oh man, this, I have to put this on my album, I made it sound like Cell Dweller. Uh, it's a Cell Dweller track. And then I took the main riff, which is this punk rock, almost 178 BPM, high energy thing, and I slowed it way down and it turned into Black Sabbath. So nice. I'm just kind of reinterpreting, but I'm replaying those riffs and re, I mean, sometimes they're in different keys and I'm reversing them, I'm doing whatever. But I get a chance, it gives me a chance to deconstruct my own music and try to rethink it and then create these voiceovers of like robots and aliens and tell a little bit of a story. It's just my, it's my excuse to do more sound design, really. It's cool, man. It's fun. It's like, uh, take a little trip, you know? It, it is for me. Like, I, I, it's, you know, it's weird hearing you even say some of the stuff you're saying because like I, I generally go under the premise, nobody knows who I am and nobody cares. To me, the motto that nobody is listening, it's pretty much my daily mantra. Like I wake up, I'm like, nobody's listening. Nobody gives a shit. Just do what you want to do. Like, and that's what I've always done. So like, I know you had asked about like, how did I do this? How did I end up here? It's like, I didn't let people's opinions of what I was doing affect me. I don't care because at the end of the day, I have to live long-term with what I make, not you. You can scrap my song that you hate and you're gonna go on YouTube and Facebook and tell me just how much you hate it. I don't care about that comment, and you should not care about my song. If you hate it that much that you're going to type it out, well, then right. fuck off and just delete the track and go listen to Green Day. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on that right now. All right, uh, it's really not much of a challenge. Oh, I thought you're going to like insult me and see what I did. No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I got to I got to get the big guns out for that, man. Okay, okay, I'll give you some time to think about. It. I've been I, I'm too tired, but uh, <laughs> no, I was what I was going to say is slightly. It's not contrary. It's just, you know, I, I had written in my notes that 
you know, as I was kind of researching your presence on, on the internet and just, you know, the way you interact with fans, because for me, you know, it's not like you're just, you're setting up at the local dive bar and playing a show all the time. You know, it's probably a little more involved than that. Oh, yeah. um, and, or maybe not. I don't know. No, it but, is. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that there's a little more to it than just plug and play. So I had recently heard this interview on um, a podcast called You Made It Weird and Henry Rollins. Oh, yeah. No, right. Yeah. Did you Brett, listen to that interview? I haven't, but Brett, Brett, Brett told me about it. Brett loves it from Blue Style. He loves that. He told me about that podcast. I mean, it's the, the, the part of it that there are some really awkward moments in there that are beautiful. Um, but one thing, you know, that I don't want to ruin it for you, but the question was asked henry how who he interacts with and he says my fans you know and it got me thinking like uh, you know like every artist who really truly loves their music they want their fans to dig it and they want their fans to be involved and and get some reaction oh yeah i mean i think it's it's a pretty safe thing to say that you know love it or hate it totally okay with either one of those things indifference total bummer Right. You know, indifference is the worst thing right. that there is for me, you know, because um, it means your music is just non, it's a non-event. It evokes no emotion whatsoever. No <laughs> response. Like, Great, dude. No, I, I'm not pissed off about this empty water bottle and I'm not pissed off about your music. It's a, an empty water bottle to me. It's like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> you win. Right. Internet, you win. So, you know, like. I went in to check and see how your interaction with people was and, 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 and kind of, I don't know. Pretty common. A lot what of it was like, and you know, and, and what their reactions to you were. And I mean, I, I gotta tell you, man, like I understand where you're going as far as not caring what anybody says, but you clearly care about these people and you clearly appreciate their feedback. And man, some of them, some of them are pretty in- intense. Passionate. We'll use the word <laughs> passionate. The, there's some serious passion going on on there, but I thought it was cool. It's just like, again, the perception, you know, it's industrial or whatever the classification of the music is. Uh, a lot of it has, is digitally created. So the arrogance of, of the old school musician is, well, well, how do they interact with anybody? Well, dude, I'm, I'm looking at it with my two eyes right now. And, and to be honest with you, they, he seems like he's interacting with his fans a lot more than these so-called old school tied in with the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, yeah, sure. There's comfortable boundaries, but there isn't, there doesn't seem to be this, like this arrogance as a boundary. I don't know. You know, once upon a time when I was touring, I was told like, you know, you gotta, you gotta create some distance. Um, you need to, to let people know that it's, you know, it's exclusive access to get to you at this point. Right. You, you hear, and, of course. Yeah. You know, that's always kind of giving me a stomach ache, that sort of right. mentality. Uh, you know, we're all people, I, I, man. I, I'm a huge fan of pre- preserving the mystery. Okay. But accessibility, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it just takes a little nuance. It takes a little bit times of, of cha- times have changed. Yeah. Fans aren't going to be cool with you not being accessible. They're just going to be yeah. like, okay, we'll go listen to somebody else. But it's just like it's just like every other every other old versus new argument in the current face of music, and there's plenty of them. They still fall back to the same thing: Are you an artist or not? Okay, if you're an artist, then you will creatively, artistically 
find a way to interact with your fans, be accessible to your fans, and have them dig it. You know, uh, man. So to be clear, I wasn't saying that I didn't. Well, no, give a, I, I'm well aware. Yeah, I so, think it was clear. Well, for my fan, for people it. listening, I want to make sure they understand that I, I'm not saying I don't give a shit what anybody says. I don't think I, that that I don't think anyone is confused by that. Okay, yeah, I, I, I just don't let the negative. I don't let the haters who have nothing else to do with their time affect anything that I do. But very conscientiously, I'm very active with my fans. I ask them yeah. questions often, their opinion on things. Um, sometimes it's like, I mean, what I'm even taking like? it a step further, man. I seriously can see, dude, the difference. I've known you long enough to at least, maybe not, you know, we're not super close, obviously. But, man, I would take it a step further and say, not only do you appreciate them, but you're drawing something from them, dude. You're a different guy at, in this current setup. And a lot of it is, you know creating a, a situation which you can work in right but there's also like dude the bounce the feedback from the fans and between you it's kind of it's what a lot of people wish they had is basically what I'm getting at and, and I don't it's, I don't even know how I have it. it it's a mystery to me when like almost daily there's art of, of kids drawing whether it's me or something related to cell dweller or one of the, the one like you know something some some tangent uh, that I've created or a character from the new album, whatever. They're drawing art. And I'm like, why does anybody, why do you care about me? Like, what did I do? Like, why am I special? And I don't, I don't even look at it as me being special. I just, I look at it. See, I'm not, I'm not starstruck. I've never been like, I could meet right. Obama. And I don't, I, he's a human, man. He's going to die. You hear the mm -hmm. phrase, you cut him, he's going to bleed. It's true. And I'm the yeah. same way. So I treat myself the same way. I, I try to approach people on the same level. Like, I'm not above you. I'm a human. I just happen to, this is what I, this is my job. I've had some crazy people. So you have to take precautions sometimes because there are people who will definitely step over that boundary. So you have to be smart. But for the most part, my fans have been really sane. They've been really awesome. They send gifts. We get gifts at the studio almost weekly of like stuffed animals, artwork, candy. Like it's just, it's bizarre. Like it blows me away that people care enough about what I'm doing and what we're doing here as a label that they would take their own time to dump their own resources back into it. So, yeah, I, and Mark, I have no, I have no idea how to tell you how that happened because, you, like you said, you didn't really. It's not like we were following each other's careers intently right. back in the day. We knew each other because we were both in the bands doing the same thing, right? And we yeah, worked on yeah. projects together. But like, I was like an insular dude back then, and to the point of like. Uh, there were no pictures of me on my albums and I didn't I didn't I responded to mail snail mail once in a while but like nobody mm -hmm. knew what I looked like I didn't go out of my way to try to do interviews I turned most of them down I don't I don't I'm not a social guy so I didn't that, that carried over into my career as I developed as a human being and as an artist I was just going you know what people are cool you tour you meet some people that you're like that's they're legitimately cool people these people are awesome and the fact that they care enough that they're going to pay 10 bucks to buy a ticket to see my show or you know spend their money to put my t-shirt on their back and wear it proudly it's like i'm kind of flattered by that you know so i just naturally started reaching out more and more and of course so, so as social media grew I, I grew along with it that's really what happened is like the time and the place man it's like there's no luck involved at all. I don't even believe that luck exists. There is no luck. Me I don't believe either. in luck. And I wrote a song about it. In fact, that song, to tie both of these thoughts together, I have a song called The Lucky One. The vocals mm -hmm. in the chorus, that it's, it's gang chants going, I am. I got vocals from my fans all over the world through the web. I gave them a clip That's of the song. Badass. I said, here's That's the, badass, I said, man. send me you guys screaming, yelling, whatever. I am the words, I am, I am. In fact, you did I am in, uh, 
one of the songs on the Argyle Park. Right? I am, I yeah. am. It was the Gutter Boy. It was the, the one that Jeff sang. Uh -huh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just remembering that now, but I guess I ripped myself off. But um, so fans from from Russia, France. UK, I name it, you know, China, Japan, everywhere all everywhere in the world, all over the world just digitally would submit MP3s, AIFs, waves, all formats, different quality settings, death metal vocals, screams, girls like kind of squeaky, <laughs> everything, and I mixed hundreds and hundreds of these vocals together into a stack that is the chorus of I am the lucky one. And so it's th so then when I go play live, I was able to tell these people in the room with me like Guys, you're on the record. <laughs> you're on the record. Like this song, not only are you on the record, but everyone here tonight can also be part of it because we're filming. So jump in and, and sing with me. Yeah, and it, it's so easy. So, you know, I, there was definitely a time, and I'll be honest, there definitely a time in my career where I wouldn't have done that. And it partially was because I didn't want to reach out to people like that. Like I, I got kicked, I, I got my ass kicked as a kid a lot. A lot. So I just went under the premise for a long time that people just didn't like me. I had nothing really to offer. So I was making everything I made creatively, artistically, it was all in my own head for me, not for anybody else, because I didn't think anybody was listening and I didn't think they cared. So uh, I think it, I think it's very clear that they do. I think it's very clear that there's a very well, a small army of very faithful fans out there. I don't know, man. I think they might have turned it around on you. It's a little scary. <laughs> it's all right, dude. I dig yeah. it. Friends, never wases, cellmates, welcome. I hope you enjoyed that. And please, get yourself caught up on the first three chapters of End of an Empire. Don't be behind the rest of the class when the fourth one drops. Just put on some headphones, close your eyes, and take a little trip. You can find Cell Dweller Music at CellDweller.com. There are links there to merchandise and shows and everything. So CellDweller.com. By all means, jump on there, take a look, do a little supporting of your own. Once again, this show was brought to you by Mr. Billy Power of UrbanAchieverShow.com. Of course, a little help from our friends at American Dance Party. There's a link to their site on where? The show page. That's right. The show page. Okay, we're going to try something new. I'm a little nervous about this, but we're going to give it a shot. Uh, Never Was is a listener-supported show. And if you'd like, if it's within your means and you want to toss us a buck or two at the link to our very own Patreon page, which is also on the website, please do that. It'd be awesome. Beyond that, I just want to say thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening, for the consistent support, for the iTunes reviews, the time spent listening to the shows, the letters that you're sending in. And speaking of letters, the next episode will be a letters episode. All those responses that we've been getting about the, the music, film, show experience that changed your life forever 200 words or less still got time if you want to send something in there but we're kind of building the show at this point that will be the next episode as long as things go to plan and again we know how that typically works thank you very much to everyone thank you to clayton for joining us on the show and spending some time here thank you to you for listening thank you to billy for showing so much patience with me and my often manic tendencies. Uh, until next time, rainbow out.